Hello, everybody. I'm Greg, if you don't know me. Um, keep your Bibles open at Deuteronomy as we keep looking at this uh, part of God's Word. Um, always lots of questions in it and lots of things to think about. Please, please feel free to come up and talk about it afterwards and ask any questions that you have. Um, love to hear from you. But before we open God's Word, we need His help, and so bless uh, ask Him for that. So please join me in a prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we do just ask that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give me the right words to say to help us to understand it and to feel it and to um, hear what it is that you say. And by your spirit, Lord, we pray that you would help us to know that you are good and that what you are doing and saying and wanting us to understand about yourself and what you're wanting us to take on uh, is good for us too. We, I just ask that you would help us with that uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, most of you know, but if you don't know, I just had a big operation and uh, they took out a bit of cancer and there's still a bit in there and then they're going to zap me for a while and I might make it or I might not. And uh, I was in hospital. It's all a bit of a dream, really. You just end up there and they smash you and then you get bored rotten sitting there. But I liked eating hospital food and walking around for coffees and coming back and getting paper every day. But I was glad to get out. But when I finally got out, which I was dying to because I was bored rotten in that sense, when I got out and we got home the first day, uh, I, I just it was so good, glad to be out. But I had this overwhelming, gigantic... I guess it's a need, more than a desire, it was desire and need, I just had to. I couldn't go to sleep till I'd started to look at a couple of our photo albums. I just had to look back at my life, I had to look at the kids growing up, I had to, I had to remind myself of, uh, you know, things that had happened, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't just go on like nothing would happen, I had to, I had to look at life. And uh, I didn't really know right then why, but um, uh, as I've reflected on it just a little bit, it's because I, I, just, I just wanted to appreciate what it is that I have experienced and enjoyed in life. I wanted to thank God uh, again for my family. I didn't want to forget, you know, them being little as well as one of them getting big. Uh, I just enjoyed it. And then once I'd looked at a couple of albums, I just... Thank you, Lord. I could just relax in that way um, and sleep. And while I was doing it, I sort of said to Cassie the next day, I found out something I want you to do. I want you to grab a few of the photos and put them together for me. And so she went and went online and got one of those little books, you know, and you give photos and, you know, and she made me two of these because uh, we kept finding more. And so I, so I had this next to my bed and I'd look at that and before I pray, I went to sleep and, and I'd wake up in the morning and have a look at it. And I'd put it on my desk and I'd look at it. And I'd put it next to my seat and I'd look at it. And I'd put it in my back pocket and look at it. And, and I was just so, so thankful uh, for what God had done. Now, uh, I, I think I was thankful before. If you asked me to pray, I would thank God for my family, thank God for my life. But there's something about facing a possible death that just makes it all that more important or all that more significant uh, or the loss of it so much more sad, maybe, uh, whatever. And, and, and it's because of that family-type thing 
that when you, when you get hold, I think everyone's understanding what I'm saying, uh, you, you know, however you, you know, your family life has been. But one of the things is as we read the Bible and as we're thinking about Deuteronomy in particular, if we don't realise, if we don't understand that God is the Father, the Heavenly Father, and we are his children, Israel is his children, we won't understand even for a minute why he's doing and saying what he's doing. I saw a uh, T-shirt and something I was looking at, and a guy had on the back of his shirt, he said, "Uh, I'm, I'm not the stepfather, I'm the father who stepped up. You know, and the more I thought about that, I mean, I liked it, but as I was doing this talk, it became really... But you get what he's saying. He said, I'm not the one who fathered these kids, but I'm the one who's fathered these kids in a much more important way. I'm the one who's put time into them. I'm the one who's spending time shaping them and caring for them. Uh, For a father is someone who cares for his kids, who puts time into them and shapes them and moulds them. And some of that is spending time, some of that's good times, and all, but some of it is shaping and disciplining and not letting them get away with things. Uh, and as we come to the Bible, if we don't get that that's what God is doing with his people, he doesn't just save them and say, yes, you're not very good and you don't deserve to be with me and go to heaven and here you are and I'm giving this good stuff, now you go and be what you want. No, no, no. Now that they have been made his, now that they are his treasured possession, now he's really on them because he's not just their father, he's the one who's fathering them. He's going to shape them. He's going to work on them. And if one thing you've got to understand that when God saves you, if you have turned and put your trust in the Lord Jesus, that God is so concerned with shaping you to be like his son. And you've got to understand that that's what he's doing. That's sometimes why things go wrong. I, you know, part of, part of me, and I, I get cancer, I go, you, you know, God's teaching me stuff, but this, is this a big, wake up your buffhead and listen. I, you know, I've woken up, I'm listening, you know, maybe more than I was before. You, you've got to always got to ask that. Things that come into our life are always in God's control. To call us, to make us respond, to get us our attention, and then, as his children, to be shaped more and more like Jesus. And so, uh, if you look at chapter 14, verse 1, we're really looking at 14 and 15, which is in the part of a big speech by Moses, his second uh, speech. But look at 14, verse 1, so you can see this. You are sons of the Lord your God. Uh, by sons, he's not being sexist, but he is talking about sons. You are my spe- You're going to inherit everything I have. You are my children. That's a context. You are my children, already saved, already brought out of Exodus, already experienced that, brought to Sinai, seen so much stuff. You are my children. And we're in the middle of a talk, and you remember last time was about worship. And if you hear it, look at the second half of verse 1. Do not cut yourselves or make a bald spot on your head. Some people can't help that, so don't pick on them. The ones who do it for, or on, the half of the, on behalf of the dead is really talking about religion. Don't take on other religions. Don't do what other religions do. Be people who listen to your God and worship him in the place he wants, in the way he wants. And so he's teaching them how to worship. And worship is all of a life. And say, so you're my sons. Don't, don't worship that way. That's just one more way of saying that. But verse 2. For you are a holy people, separated. 
belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord had chosen you to be his special people out of all the peoples of the face of the earth. You see, it's precious language. It's, it's, it's family language. It's, it's you're chosen, you're mine, I love you. It's, you, you know, I want you there and, I, and I'm shaping you. Uh, but the big question that sort of always hangs over uh, Deuteronomy and really a lot of the Old Testament is God has given them a salvation event. God has brought them to Sinai. God has given them the Ten Commandments. They've, they've seen his glory. They've seen how scary he is, but also how good he is. He's looked after them for a year, yeah, for, a year for 40 years in the desert, and now he's promised to give them the promised land. And they're there ready to go in, but the question always is, they are his children, but will they respect him? Will they love him? Will they worship him? Will they respond to him? And one of the things and the questions that you always struggle with is you read the Old Testament and we're supposed to line up with those people as you keep going, were any of them really responding to him? Did they really? We know they were kicked out of the promised land because they did not keep their part of the covenant that God made with them. And, and so the question always is, will they listen? You know, they'll hear things, but will they actually listen? Will they love? Will they worship? Will their life be moulded by the Father who loves them, by the God who made them? And um, if you're a flipper, go back to chapter 10 and have a look at this sort of summary verse, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, and just have a little look at what God is saying. He's sort of one of these little verses that sort of give you a good feel for it. Uh, chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God? Now, fear gets a bit misunderstood in our language, but fear is best translated respect, but it's the respect that knows that you're going to get in big trouble if you don't respect. You know, it's a bit like, if you can remember, if you ever went through, this is usually a boy thing, but I know girls do it too in a different way, but, you know, girls do, don't, when Dad says, don't talk to your mother like that. And then they say again, don't talk to your mother like that when you get to the third one that's what happens <laughs> exactly thank you for whoever did that and, and so you know you it's that is it's respect but it's respect knowing that if you disrespect there's going to be something to pay so when we respect god when he says i want respect it's respect knowing that ultimate rejection means that God will reject you and it will be hellish. It's not just a game. There is an eternity. And so what does God want? He wants respect. He wants us to walk in his ways. He wants them to love. He wants them to worship. He wants them to keep what he says, to care about what he says. And in the end of uh, verse 10, as it goes on, as we keep going, verse 10, he says, he asks them, except to fear the Lord your God by walking in his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Keep his commandments and statutes I'm giving you today for your own good. Everything that God says is for your good. So he's a father who loves you. He's a God who created you. He's a God who gave you everything. And what he is saying is for your own good. And really, most of the time that we resist him is not just because 
not just because we are rebellious, which we are and we struggle with, but it's because we don't believe he's good. And he doesn't know better than us. But he is. He is good. What God says is for our own good. Now, as we get to the bit we're looking at now, uh, we're right up against something that we struggle with when it comes to God. Uh, uh, people struggle with as they come up to God. It's, uh, what we are seeing is God showing his character through the outworking of the commandments, the Ten Commandments or the Ten, the ten Words, and it's being outworked. And now he's trying to show people what it looks like in practice, what he's like and what he wants for his people who is shaping to be like him. And it's probably best summarised as generosity, but it's going to push us all on our edges. And so we've got four things, and we start from uh, chapter 14, verse 22. And the first thing uh, he says to show his generosity, he's given us everything they have, he's giving them everything they have. When they go into this land of blessing and they, he, he looks after them and he gives them stuff, uh, what he wants them to do is put God first with a tenth, a tithe. You might have heard that word, but it's tenth. So verse 22... Each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. You would eat a tenth of your grain, new wine and oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of Yahweh your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. Um, and then look at verse 28, another type of tithe. Uh, uh, at the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year and store it within your gates. Then the Levite, who has no proportion in the inheritance among you, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow within your gates, may come, eat and be satisfied, and the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. And so uh, one of the funny things is when you try to work out the Bible, if you've ever tried to think about this whole uh, tithe and tenth thing, is that uh, it, it's... It's um, uh, when you sort of add it all up, when you try to work out what they did, you, you know, there was no way it was a tenth. It's going to be a twentieth or a thirtieth when you put it all together, when you start going this tithe and that tithe and that tithe when and when do you do... And you try to put it all together and you go, ooh, okay. Um, and so the, 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 the tenth that's being looked at here and in this context as they go into the land, which is going to be in the place where everyone's going to go, it's about making sure that the place where you went to meet God, where the Israelites had to go to three times a year for celebrations of about a week long each time, that there was going to be so much stuff there, so much stuff to celebrate. Yes, there were going to be a focus on him, and yes, there would be talks, and yes, there would be sacrifices and remembering an event that happened in Israel's history, but they were going there to celebrate. They were going there to enjoy. They were going there to reflect, a little bit sober maybe at one, think about what God did, but it was always about, about him and his kingdom and his goodness. And so the whole idea is that God has given us everything that we have, the whole lot of it, the 100% is his, but he wants the first... The first 10% is his. It's not yours, so to speak. It was his stuff. And so to use it was to get in trouble because it's God's. Don't you use God's stuff. It's not yours. It's his. It's, it's his. You know, he's given you everything. You've got 90%. Yeah, that sort of idea. It's his. And so it's a way of acknowledging uh, that everything you have is from God and you acknowledge it by putting him first with your stuff. It's a way of showing that you trusted God to provide, uh, that you are willing to live on less than you get 
on you because he's a God who provides. Um, it's a way of expressing your love and gratitude for what he had given by using it for him and, let's call it, his kingdom, to use a New Testament particular term. So we're either building a kingdom on earth or we're building a kingdom in heaven, that sort of idea. Now, the tithe, which meant tenth, a tenth, was really a type of tax, but it was a special type of tax because they got to enjoy it. Other people got to enjoy it. It was about everyone enjoying, not about just the person, but there was so much good that would come out of this because it brought families together. It looked after the poor. It looked after the Levites. It looked after the foreigner, the fatherless and the orphan, the widow. It was about a generosity and abundance, but it's actually about God's, not yours. It says, if you put it together, you go, look how God has blessed us. Look what he has done. Um, what do we do with this? Any of you who have been thinking about your Bible for a while, you'll hear if you watch a lot of YouTube um, and you listen to sermons there, there's a lot of good stuff there, but there's a whole lot of not-so-good stuff that smells. One of them is this sort of area that you should tithe and this should come. But because what happened is the tithe was for Israel in the Promised Land. We're not Israel and we're not in the promised land. The promised land was a place that modelled what heaven's going to be when we go to heaven, the new heaven and new earth. And so we don't have to give the tithe. What the New Testament calls us to do uh, in response to Jesus who saves us is he calls us to be generous. Now, what's generous going to look like? Well, one thing you can bet, generous is not really going to be, you know, to put a name on it, but it's going to be surprising if it's less than what God asked his Old Testament people to give. It's going to be surprising. It'll be funny, isn't it? That now you're in the New Testament, you have everything, you've got every blessing in Christ Jesus, but don't worry about that. You can just use it for yourself. You see, that sort of idea. So one of the ways uh, of thinking about this is now, what, what does it mean for us? Is I think I talk to a lot of people out there, and, and, and you can, it comes out after a while. They sort of think that you know, the money in the church, me, gets paid. I get paid from some big central... You know, Scrooge's Bank. Oh, sorry, that's way too old. Who has lots of money? Someone else who's got lots of money and that money comes to diocese, you know, they give you money and that's what keeps you going. No, you know, you know the money for church comes from you, don't you? You've got to know that. It's the money that keeps the lights on, the doors open, the lawns mowed, you know, buying the things, paying stuff. It all comes from you. And so how do you kill a church? Just don't give. If that makes sense. Uh, and one of the ways of feeling it is most of us never quite get to, uh, to be involved with a church budget. But when you get involved in a church budget, you'll realise how important it is that people share by what we do, how we'll affect the community, how we'll grow and develop. But what's God doing? He's teaching his people, his Old Testament people, that he is so generous, he has given everything, but he is to be first. And you show that you understand that by putting him first with the stuff that you produce, the stuff that you make with your money. Um, and then you think, well, that's enough. Because you know a lot of people say, I'm not going to go to church because all I want is your money. And what's this talk on tonight? So if this is your first time, I'd just like to apologise. We want your money. No, we don't. Um, uh, in that sense, it's God wants your money, which is very different. Um, um, and, and people will look and, and go, you, 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 you know... Churches just want that and, and, you know, and it'll be a struggle. And some of you, are, you know, we sort of think, well, I don't get any money yet, I don't have to give and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, if you won't give 10 cents when you get a dollar, 
you're not going to give 100 when you get 1,000, and you're not going to do, do your maths. You, you know what I mean? If you won't give when it's little, you're not going to give when it's a lot. It's sort of the way that it works. Everything, that's enough. Struggling with that is enough. You know, God's giving you that. But then what God's doing is he's trying to show us his character. And so the second point of debts cancelled in chapter 15, 1 to 6, is taking it even further. So uh, verse 15, 1 to 6, just read the first verse. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. We don't know if they did this. But it certainly looks like they did. It sounds like they did, but you can't find much evidence for it. Um, but they probably did it. So they had a cycle every seven years, Sabbath, seven, you know, God rested on the Sabbath day. The sort of built in as after 49 years, seven sevens, they would give, uh, they would be a jubilee year. Uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff like that built in. Every seventh year, you were not supposed to use your fields, give it a year off, let it rest, let it build up, and then plough your fields again, all this stuff. Trust God that he will give you enough in the sixth year that you'll, all that sort of, it's built into it. But here, he's saying, even just giving the 10% or the 20% or 30%, whatever it is that God was actually asking for them, uh, what he was saying here, that on the seventh year, all debts were to be cancelled. Um, the whole idea is that God is a God who cancels debts. God is a God who will not give us what we deserve if we come to him in the Lord Jesus, that he will not give us what we deserve. He's a cancel, a debt-canceling God. He will forgive anyone for anything, ultimately, if they come to him. That's what God is like. You will never be like him. I will never be like him. He's a debt-cancelling guy. He is so unbelievably generous that you can never, ever, I can never, ever get near him. And so we acknowledge that everything he's given to us is from him by putting him first with our, our money, our, you know, that sort of our generosity in that way for his kingdom. And we uh, re recognise that he is a debt-cancelling God. And probably one of the best places of thinking about this is, is the parable that Jesus told of the vineyard workers where there was a guy who had a vineyard and it's time for harvest and he goes out to get some workers to come and harvest the grapes and he hires them. He said, I'll give you a denarius or what it is for the day. And then he goes back out a couple of hours later and there's more people waiting in the marketplace who didn't get a job that day. You need to work that day to get some money to buy some food that day to take it home to the family, that sort of idea. And he goes, oh, you haven't got a job. Why don't you come and work and I'll pay you a day. And then he went out another couple of hours later and they didn't have a found some more people. He said, why don't you come and work and I'll pay you? And went out again, there was more people. And, he gave that. And, 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 and at the end of the day, the people who'd been there all day, they thought, oh, this is going to be good. You know, if he's going to give them one denarius for only working an hour, how much are you going to give us for working for the whole day? This is going to be a beauty. And when the money came, he gave them exactly the same as everyone else. And because the people who'd worked all day said that was pretty unfair. But the owner says, I've done nothing wrong. I offered you this much. I paid you this much. What I do with them has got nothing to do with you. What it is, is God is generous. Unbelievably generous. And really, the big point there, of course, that Jesus was saying is that the Jews were getting upset about those who are non-Jews being allowed into God's kingdom, and that's the point. God lets anyone in who will respond to his son. He is unbelievably generous. That is the God who is trying to look after you and I. That is the God that's trying to shape us if we are his children and 
we're already saved by his generosity uh, through the Lord Jesus. And so uh, it goes there and you think, okay, that's enough. Okay, 10%. Okay, that tithing. As a, okay, okay, God first in what I do. Build his kingdom. Don't build my kingdom. Cancel debts. Forgive, you know. Don't be always on about money. Care more about the person. That, that sort of idea. Um, and then you get to the third one, verse 7, lending to the poor. He goes further than that. It's not just cancelling debts every seven years. It's, it's lending to the poor, 7 to 11. And if there's a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your gates in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted before your, towards your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year. The year of cancelling debts is near and you are stingy towards your poor brother and give him nothing. you think God understands people, wouldn't you? Uh, and so here he goes, and it's more than that. It is, we want, I want you to be lending to the poor. Now, one thing that you need to understand in the Bible too, and it's a whole talk to think about, and I think a lot of people get it wrong, is that uh, in the Bible, basically... Uh, um, uh, uh, Let's just use the Christian, our Christian brothers and sisters are our family. They're our brothers and sisters. That's one another. And those who are not Christians are our neighbour. Now, now, sometimes that term is used for your Christian brothers and sisters. Look after your neighbour. Don't ignore the person living next door to you. But as a general rule, your neighbour is people who are not in, the, not in God's family. And, uh, and what God is saying ultimately is that we are to particularly look after those in God's family. Uh, Israel were to particularly look after God's people in the land in God's place. So there were different rules for God's people to people who joined them. Uh, different rules because it's look after them. And so when God says they'll know your Christians by your love for one another... It's actually talking about the way you treat other Christians, the way you treat your church, the way you treat other Christians around the world. And you are to love your neighbour as well. And what happens if we only love our neighbour and we don't love our church? No one will see the difference that Jesus makes because it looks humanitarian. And that's a good thing to do. What we want it to look is it's from Christ. Um, and so when it comes here to lending to the poor, uh, what he's saying is, you know, be generous. Be generous even when you don't want to. Be like God who looks after those who are poor and who's wanting you to share what you have. So how do we, how do we get to apply that? Because there seems, it seems to be the one about cancelling debts is more about let's call it forgiveness or letting things slide, not being on about profit. This one is more about make sure you're a lender. Make sure you're a giver. Make sure you're, a, you're not tight-fisted, tight, I don't give anything. It's, it's be a lender. Even when you can see the seventh year coming, which we don't have, and you're going to lose it. Give it anyway. Why? Because that's what God's like. So the thief on the cross can turn to Jesus and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you are with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. He's a giver, he's a lender, he's caring for people, and he wants us to be people who are like that. Um, um, 
So how do we do that? One of, the, one of the things we have to come to terms with, we don't always believe it, but if you look into it and work it out, we are you know, up there with the richest people in the world. You might look at other people and go, well, I'm not as rich as, you know, it's all relative. We, we are rich. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so uh, what do we do with our riches? How do we lend? How do we care? Uh, well, one of the ways that we need to care or we try to model as a church is, you know, 10% of what we give goes to mission globally, uh, goes overseas, a little bit here, but going overseas, trying to uh, look after people in their needs who don't have enough money to do stuff, as well as feeding them or as, if, as well as caring for them, but making sure the gospel's there so not only do they have a better lot, but they can hear about the Lord Jesus and turn to him. And so God is concerned... Uh, uh, God is concerned that his people know that he is unbelievably generous and he's concerned as he shapes us as his children that we are generous too in response to his generosity. And so there's a fourth one too. You think, okay, that's enough. Leave me alone. Now leave me alone. I've got too much to do, too many bills, too much to pay. And then he gets to 4, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 12, releasing slaves. And so verse 12, if your fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year and do not send him or her away empty-handed. Now, we've got to be careful here. When it says slavery here, even though God recognises slavery, it's around, uh, ultimately Christians will be the ones who God uses to take slavery away in a lot of the Western places and further afield, this sort of slavery is different. This is a slavery... That, a, 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 that one of God's people could put themselves in because they're in extreme hardship. And so when everything else is gone, you can't borrow anymore, no one will lend you or you've run out of your credit or it's too long to the seventh year, you've got no hope, you can sell yourself. Um, uh, you can sell yourself into slavery, but it's not quite slavery like you watch on TV. Let me show you why. Uh, look at verse 16. Because uh, what he says is some slaves won't want to be set free. So verse 16, but if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you, why? Because he loves you and your family and is well off. That's a pretty good slavery, isn't it? You can see it's, it's not slavery where they're, you know, well, abuse is not easy to see there. It's, a, it's one where people might want to stay because they feel loved and looked after. Um, but if they do want to leave after six years, which is a right thing, give them stuff. And so, verse 18, do not regard it as hardship. Being generous to people, letting people go. It's not about profits, it's about people, that sort of idea. It's about letting them go. All of that together is, it might not be the way we would do it in a modern way, and it's a little hard to go, well, how does that work for us? But, but, but are you seeing a picture of God's generosity? He's given everything and he, he wants us to use that first bit, particularly for him and for people enjoying it and being a part. He, he, he wants us to be people who, who just, you know, cancel debts, so to speak, and understand, be generous to people. He's people who lend, uh, people who will do what's best for a person. It's, it's all generosity and kindness and that is what he wants us to see. So to finish up, let me say three sort of things. One is, what we need to do is understand, what is God like? He's unbelievably generous and good to you. Everything you have is from him. He's doing everything he can, uh, so to speak, to stop you going to hell. He's doing everything he can to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. He 
is modelling it. He's letting you hear it. He's putting people out there so you can hear it. He, everything you have is from him. He, he's unbelievably generous to you as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and he is calling you to use your stuff for him first. So he's unbelievably generous. Uh, this generosity is seen too most clearly in the Lord Jesus, and we can do a whole lot of stuff there, but that's where you see it. And I'll just use the verse 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's a good summary of what God does. God gives up his rights. Though he deserves everything, he gives it up, became a man, even going to the cross, as our substitute, so that we won't get what we deserve from God, so that we can be rich with God, ultimately in heaven forever with him. That's what God is like, and we see it in Jesus. And so, uh, uh, thirdly, just the last application point, which is a bit of a funny one. You're going to see I'm going to do it negative. If I, it would be really appropriate for me to now to go, think about how generous you are with what God's given you uh, to, to the church, to the poor, to God's wider kingdom, you know, yeah, it'd be appropriate to do that. You, that you, you know, is God's generosity starting to show in your life more? That would be appropriate, wouldn't it? But if I did that, I'd leave you thinking about ourselves. Nothing wrong to do a bit of thinking there. But if, you, if we leave ourselves there, we're back to us and how we're going. You know, some of you are going to feel good about yourself. Some of you are going to feel rotten and everything in between about how you judge yourself and how you're going. But, but that's not where he should leave us. It should be affecting us, but what we should be left with, what I'm trying to leave us with is, please, please, please reflect on how generous God has been to you. Keep reflecting on it. Keep thinking about it. Everything you have is from him. Everything he's doing is for your good. He's shaping you and moulding you to be a person you'll be proud of, but a person he'll be proud of. As your heavenly father, he's shaping you. And let that increasingly come out of you in sharing and in generosity for the good of God's kingdom. Amen.